Hey, I'm Bob Runkle, and for as long as I can remember, I've loved pop culture. Despite the challenges I've faced in my life, pop culture has always been there for me. I love talking to people and being a platform for others to share their thoughts and stories. Because if there's one thing I never get tired of, it's seeing driven, talented, and inspiring individuals follow their dreams, no matter what obstacles are in their way. And I know a thing or two about that. Welcome to the DJ Bob Show. I'm DJ Bob. Roll it. The DJ Bob Show. Pop culture, past and present. And now, here's your host, DJ Bob. Barney the Dinosaur, Grease, we covered all with our guest, Barry Pearl. Now, this episode was recorded a little bit ago. He was rehearsing for a play at the time that has since finished, so the information is a little bit outdated. But I really hope you enjoy this chat. It's one of my favorites. So, what is something that you wish people knew about you? Oh, dear. That I whether, wish... be, whether it be creative or personal or just something that people don't really... It's, it, it's hard to answer because I fancy my life as about as mysterious as a doorknob. I mean, sort of what you see is what you get with me. Um, there are things that I hide... Uh, there are nervous tics and behaviors that I hide that I don't want people to know. Only my wife knows and very, very close friends. So there are those particular behaviors that, but as far as anything that I want, that I feel that I haven't expressed, um, I, I, I don't have them. I want, I want people to know me as, as much as they care to want to get to know me. Absolutely, because so many people in our respective industries, they they kind of shy away from things. And something that I've admired about you is that you never do that, ever. No, I mean, listen, there have been reach outs. I've had to be discreet in this day and age and in these mediums as to who it is that I uh, choose to uh, do these kinds of things with. I could be doing many more, but there are only so many hours in a day. And also, uh, I, I'm not sure about a lot of them. So when I'm not, I tend to take a pass. Well, I'm glad you were sure about this one. Yes, indeed. It, it means the world to me that we're, we're, this, we're talking today because, I, because I've admired your work for years. I don't like to consider myself. I don't say I'm a fan of you because then that that brings you high on a pedestal. We're on the same level. Yeah. And but I've admired your work and I'm so glad that you're here today. Thank you you very much. I really, really appreciate that. That truly hits the heart. You know, it, it is the people such as yourselves and the fans who keep us relevant. And um so I do my best to, to accommodate requests and such. Um, and, and I guess I could be better at that when folks reach out for autographs and such. There is a process that they now have to go through because uh, you know, I'm represented by agents who do those kinds of autograph signing events. And so I have to be careful you know, just signing something and sending it off. Um, so that's become a little more restrictive as a result of uh, deciding to enter into that culture, uh, and and I'm I'm some sometimes hurt me hurts me when I'll get actually I get a letter at home how they get my home address I don't know, and I just have to be careful about responding to those kinds of things and I kind of wish that there was a way to be able to redirect I do my best you know to do that but I can only do so many of them absolutely and I often wonder. When, especially since we're talking now, do you feel like 
social media has helped or hurt you in the industry? Both. Uh, where it hurts is that so many more people now can enter the field, throw their hats into the ring. And because of technology the way it is, and this is sort of a social, uh, I, I guess social media is an arm over an outgrowth of the internet, um, but because of the internet, where back in the day, even before video tape recorders, VCRs, we went into a room and we played the room, whether the initial call was simply for the casting director. And then when you're brought back, you've got the clients and the, the directors and the producers, they're all in a room and you can play that room. Well, that sort of started to go away when video tape recorders came into existence. You'd go to an, an initial audition and they'd put you on tape and then they would show uh, that tape that has scores of people on that tape to the clients and they can fast forward past people if they don't like the initial frame, the initial look. That, that's and intimidating. It, that's well, yeah, I guess it, it, it would be, but then now you compound that by uh, agents, talent agents now, where they used to submit 10 or 20 people, they're now submitting 100 people, and you have clients that are looking at hundreds of thumbnails on a computer screen and looking for one that pops out. Well, I like that look. Let's listen to what that person sounds like or whatever. So the quote unquote competition has gotten stiffer as a result. So in that way, it's hurt. But on the other hand, if I have something to say and I put it on Facebook, it's out in the click of a mouse. So, and it reaches all over the world. Uh, so the voice is heard quicker. And I guess there can be an upside to that. It's ultimately how we, we met. And I'm so thankful that we have yeah. our friend Carrie Stinkin to thank for that. Yeah, indeed. indeed. We'll, we'll get into that. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk to you before we even get to the career side of things is diversity and inclusion. Okay. Because I was diagnosed with cerebral palsy at the age of two, mm. and I'm confined to a wheelchair. I have been all my life, and I haven't let that stop my creative outlet from doing this for the past 12 years when people were not doing this. Mm -hmm. I feel like ever since the pandemic, people start using the pod the podcast medium as a step and one of the things that i really wanted to talk to you about was the film program that you do every summer for people like us yeah yeah we can would definitely you mind sharing that would you mind sharing a bit oh, about that uh I think it's it's miraculous and uh, an idea whose time ha has come. Well, it, it came. I've been with it for nine years. Joey has been with it for much longer than Joey Travolta, who runs Inclusion Films. Uh, they invited me along nine years ago, and they had already been doing it for you know I think they've been doing it for almost twenty at least in some form, and um, it, it it has opened doors for people. Uh, such as yourself, as it should, because there is a mind and a heart inside of this body that um, is not uh, perfect enough to, uh, in your case, walk. And that should not keep you down, because that mind and that heart still needs to be expressed. And you're doing so, and that's terrific. And more and more folks uh, in your position are doing so. And we cater in great part to people that are on the spectrum, that uh, that have this that have abilities such as yourself, um, and that is a very good thing. As people like Joey, who has uh, allowed this to come to the forefront and promotes this, and uh, you know, it's it's a gift to be able to be a part of that. It, it it certainly still comes with its challenges, and it's about jumping up and over those hurdles to be able to to bring a. A, a bit of a, a bit of normalcy. I got a lot of air quotes happening today. A bit of yeah. normalcy to uh, to your culture, 
Uh, so I'm thankful that I was asked along. And every single year, you know, I go through my own ups and downs and bumps and grinds with it, uh, the perfectionist that I am. And, um, and I'm still learning myself after all these years how to be more inclusive, more tolerant. Though tolerant is it's such a tough word because it implies that you are sitting in judgment and your uh, your more more accept more accept acceptance is a better is a better term absolutely. So I'm I'm grateful to have been a part of this for all the for, for all this time now, you know, and it it it, it needs to happen. Uh, again, there are swings. Uh, the, the, the pendulum swings. Uh, we can get into uh, diversity uh, in in, uh, in um, stage, for instance, or film. You know, I think that there are sometimes. I think we're pushing sometimes uh, too hard the square peg into the round hole. That when history starts to be rewritten, we have to be very careful there. And I'm not talking about a Hamilton which is, uh, that is an, an entity that exists in and of itself and is absolutely a tremendous, incredible uh, thing that, Man that Lin-Manuel has done. I'm talking about when you might cast, uh, well, how can I put this? Uh, when, when you alter history, for instance, if, it, it, the, a play is set in a particular period where a particular culture was not framed as it was back in history. All of a sudden, people begin to think, well, that wasn't that way. I, I can't suspend my disbelief because that never would have happened back then. So what do we do there? It's, uh, it's a, a slippery slope. Um, I, I, I recalled seeing a production of The Pajama Game many years ago. And it was Christine Ebersol and Dorian Harewood, two tremendously talented individuals. And at the time that that piece takes place, there would not, a, a black man would not have been the foreman. Yeah. And nor would he uh, uh, begin to entertain the thought of having a relationship with a very white looking woman. So it, it's a little jarring in that way. Now, will there come a time where where everybody is colorblind and that makes no never mind, it very well may. But then what does it do to the history that brought us to a place where we can do that? So, it, you know, I don't know how you square it. It's a very tough thing because it should be squared. It should be done. There should be no barriers. And at the same time, we have to recognize the times when there were that re reflect today reflect our accomplishments in those areas. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And it's so interesting you brought up this topic because just this week that we're recording this, Disney just released their newest trailer for the live action Little Mermaid. Oh. And people are up in arms because the mermaid the, the girl that plays Ariel is black. Uh -huh. And that it's, but if you look at the original script of the film, mm -hmm. there's no race attached to it. Yeah. Like, just because it's not what you're used to seeing, doesn't mean that you can't, not, not, not even just suspend disbelief, but one of my biggest kind of themes in my life and my line of work is adaptation. You have to adapt. Yeah. And if this person is talented, which she is, I'm yeah. glad that they're having their moment. And when you see little black girls reacting to this trailer, seeing themselves on screen right. for the first time, it is it's so heartwarming and it's so needed. Yeah, that's that's a, a real upside to that very thing. Absolutely, absolutely. And my mind goes to renderings of Jesus Christ. Was not Jesus Christ a Jewish man who may have looked more like me than the depiction that you see painted uh, and framed uh, in in uh, in churches? Uh, um, uh, you know, Catholic churches, 
it has that image has been altered to look more like the people that are worshiping in those uh, in those houses of worship. You know, so this has been going on for a long time. Yeah, yeah. But you know, this is why you know what Joey's doing and what you're doing in turn, and all the other folk involved is so vital because I was always from the time I was a toddler I was interested in media I was recording cassette tapes and doing fake radio shows in my bedroom just finding a way to get in because I couldn't play outside all that much so this whole world of creating and making little short films and playing with things and sort of writing my own stories it was my way of creating so the fact that inclusion is such a big part of the industry now is such a big thing because i never saw myself on tv yeah yeah it has provided wonderful opportunities for you and, and that's that is, a terrific thing that's so great yeah. so i the other th the one of the other topics i want to talk to you about is when when you're a part of a pop culture juggernaut such as Greece or such as Barton, right? If you love what you do and you love the work and you love the people involved. But is there ever a moment where you just want to be recognized for something that you enjoy that you like because this is um, of course your Greek family is your family for life I've seen things I've I've heard about the sing-alongs and I've heard about I've watched footage but is there ever a time where it's like you know I'm tired of this or like not that you're necessarily tired of it but like you just want to be you for a bit no <laughs> well that's that good to hear i um i am what i do and i do what i am and i didn't mean that in a negative way i, was I didn't take it that way good um and it's not something i give a lot of thought to bob I'm very existential in that way. It's kind of like right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, you know. And at the same time, people would say, oh, you're much too strict. You plan. And you, well, I guess I do. And if it doesn't go by plan, I sometimes get undone. And that's Oh, true. me too. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm, and I'm anal retentive. Yeah, you know, and uh, I'm on the spectrum myself. You know, I just show it in different ways. Um, everything has, a, has to have its place. I'm, I'm a real Aries, you know. <laughs> And a Taurus, I think, is is the combination there. Uh, but um, it's what I love doing. I, I'm I'm at my best when I am working. They call it a play because I'm really playing. Well, we all are. I think we all there's an element of that in all of us. Um, is it hard sometimes? Oh, <laughs> you bet your dollar bottom, it's hard. Um, and that comes along with the territory. And you just, you, you grit your teeth or you gird your loins or you do whatever you need to do in that moment to get past that discomfort until it's a little more clear sailing again, you know. Um, there are aspects of what I do that are more difficult and, and uh, less pleasurable than others. The process, for instance, of memorizing lines, um, that's a scary and daunting task. And as we get older, this muscle gets a little soft around the edges, so you really have to stay on top of it. Um, but uh, once that process has uh, is over, and I've and I then I go into a rehearsal with all that behind me because I like to get that part of it down before I go into the first day of rehearsal, and then I can play right from Jump Street. And I like when I have the time to be able to do that, which is which is actually going on right now. I'm I'm studying. Uh, my lines for the role of Saunders in a production of Lend Me a Tenor at the International City Theater. 
And the wonderful thing about that is that I played the role before, twice before, but back in the 90s. And it's interesting, this computer that we have here, how during the process, lines are coming back to me, full paragraphs, full monologues are coming, which is, I thank God for that, uh, because it's a lot, there, there are a lot of lines in this, in this piece. And I have been caught on stage in the white room, as they say, not knowing what end is up. And that's real scary. Uh, but, you know, um, it's, it's like anything else. Uh, you know, you, you're, you're climbing a mountain, uh, you're a rock climber, and you there's this little slip and you catch yourself. You know, there are those aspects along the way. But, but getting back to your original question is that I, uh, there isn't much else. I don't, I mean, hobbies. I used to love playing racquetball. I haven't done that in a while. I love watching good, uh, good teleplay, going to the movies, going to good theater. Um, I love, you know, I, I'm a late bloomer when it comes to, to football. Carrie, you know, <laughs> they, they used to make fun because I wasn't as, uh, as sports oriented. But since I, I got now, since I met my wife, it's been over 20 years. She's a real football and was a baseball fan, but real football fan. She's gotten me, you know, so interested. So Mondays and Thursdays and Sundays, you know, we're glued to the TV watching sports. So the football specifically. But um, kind of what you see is what you get. And I, you, I think that what you are seeing when you are seeing me at work, you're seeing me at play and you're seeing me at my best. Now, does that mean that everything that is caught on celluloid or on digits or whatever it is these days, uh, uh, electronic, whatever it is, waves, uh, yeah, it doesn't make me cringe. Uh, oftentimes it does. But, you know, you take Of course, two yeah. It's funny when I when I started doing this podcast, I was 15 years old. Mm -hmm. And now, that was when my my voice hadn't changed yet. So I, so I listened to that stuff and I'm like, oh, like, how is this tolerable for people? Like, <laughs> you just, you, you laugh at yourself in those moments. So, yes. In that, you know, on that mindset, you know, I was watching several scenes from Greece to sort of prep myself for this, to kind of re-familiarize myself. I, yeah. And one of the things, I've, I've heard you mention this, but I'm going to say one word and you're going to finish it. Gumdrops. <laughs> so have you heard that story? I have, but you have to tell that story. <laughs> so, um, Michael Tucci, Michael Tucci um, is my dear, dear Italian friend. Uh, and uh, he's just, he's just the best in the world. And uh, he, ha there's a word uh, in Italian, Gavona. And it basically means like a nerd, a numbnut, you know, it's, it's a derogatory ter term. Yeah, you're such a Gavona. And so... In summer nights, uh, just before we sing the song, uh, there is a moment where we all see Tom Chisholm, played by the darling Lorenzo Lamas, um, in his baseball, uh, beg your pardon, his football attire, and he st he sticks his foot, he in, he drops his helmet and 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 uh, trips on his on his helmet, his foot goes into his helmet, and you cut back to us and we're make, making fun of him, and that was all ad lib, the making fun, and. I had my squirt gun in my hand and uh, I, I was about to say, what a Gavona. And as I thought to start to say it, I heard Tucci out of my right ear, who's to my right saying, what a Gavona. And in that moment, I had, I, uh, the, a G word was you had the on my lips. Yeah. I was about to say it, but in that moment, I caught myself, I couldn't say what Tucci said, so what came up was gumdrops, man. <laughs> nothing, it means absolutely nothing. So but, and they kept, that's the, that's the take they used, they kept it in. So, we're, so I say that because we're talking about cringe moments and that's gotta be one oh. where Oh yeah. It doesn't, and I can't tell you, I'm, I'm right in the forefront. I'm right in the, of all the guys, I'm, I'm in the forefront of that shot too. And then I think I, I might shoot the gun at him or something, or something like that. Or maybe I didn't. I just had the. I, okay. <laughs> I, just had, I had to, 
let people hear that if they had Thumb drops. It was just so funny to me. And I yeah. had to I had to frame it that way too. So yeah. earlier on in our conversation we spoke about how we met our dear friend Carrie Stinkin, yeah. who who's play who played Barney the Dinosaur for close to twenty twenty something years. Yeah. And He's a dear friend of ours, and that's, I believe that's how we got in touch, if, yes. that, if that's right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. exactly. So let's, let's talk and potentially embarrass Kerry, because I know he's listening to this. What can we say about Kerry? Uh, are, we, are we allowed to use, um, like, well, it's, we can use any kind of language as long yes. as... Well, he's my show. <laughs> yeah, he's my rat bastard friend. Oh, yeah, I'll be waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> they love that term. We would play cards and, you know, somebody, I don't know, they would uh, uh, beat me or I say, you rat bastard. And then we, we actually uh, developed a drink, the rat bastard. I think it was something like, it was vodka and cranberry juice or something. We developed the rat bastard drink. And it was just funny. I mean, it, I remember when I first heard it, I, I it cracked me up. I don't know if it's the uh, the sound of the 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 T and the B or whatever. <laughs> you rat bastard! And it was something. It was a real New York thing, you know. So yeah, he's my rat bastard. Friend. Oh yeah, I'm in Long Island, so I know. You know, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I love Carrie so much. I do too. He's a very very dear man. So let's talk about your transition to the big purple guy. What was your, what was your, you know, familiarity with the, with the property? Because Barney was huge at that point. Yeah. When you I did remember, the special. Yeah, I, I remember I was in Pennsylvania, and I was doing a play at the Mount Gretna Playhouse in Mount Gretna, Pennsylvania. And I have this mental image picture of driving down a rural road with my then girlfriend who, who was, who, who come East and was also in the play that we were doing rumors. We were doing production of rumors. And I remember it was 90, I want to say 94, 90. Yeah. 94, I guess it was, uh, or 93, somewhere around there, it, but Barney was huge. I remember hearing about it and I remember her disparaging Barney and I wasn't too sure about what it was. It was a kid show, and you know, why why disparage kid shows? They're they're not geared towards us. They're for kids. If the kids love them, you know, live and be well. And I remember for some reason I remember a pencil. I don't know if it was a Barney pencil or what. I, that's a little vague in my mind. And the next thing you know, I'm out here now, and and back in California, and I get a phone call from my then agent David Moss, that they had an audition for me for an industrial. Now an industrial, if you don't know what that is, it's a an in-house commercial, basically. So if you're Ford, um, you have um, a, a team of uh, dealers and mechanics and you name it, uh, uh, th that are in the Ford complex and they have a, 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 a preparatory film that they wanna show everybody and they put together with actors um, the, uh, the, the highlights of working for Ford or the Ford products or whatever, and that's an industrial film, all right? So I'm going up on what I think is some sort of an industrial. Uh, Mike Lean was the casting director, and I get there and come to see that it, it, is, it, it isn't that, it's something else. Now, I don't even know that I knew at the time it was for Barney, because I know that Professor Tinkerput was a character in it, can't remember, but I read for this thing and they put me on tape and they liked it and they had us improvise. And I don't remember exactly what I did at the time, but I got the gig and it turned out to be uh, 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 Bedtime with Barney Imagination Island that was being shot at the studios of Las Colinas down in Dallas. Uh, so I went down to Dallas and had probably at the time one of, if not the best times in front of a camera with a, a crew and staff and fellow players, the best time I'd ever had working in front of a camera. 
And uh, it's still a real highlight of mine to this day. Uh, it set a particular standard. And um, everybody fell in love with everybody. And it was a special that was uh, brought to us by J.C. Penny. It was the first time that uh, the, uh, the program went uh, uh, to, uh, to, to primetime. Uh, uh, it was on NBC. So it was a PBS project. And it was the first time we saw it on network television in primetime. And it was huge, just huge at the time. So a couple of years later, I get a call from Sloan Coleman uh, wanting to bring me into the live mix. They were doing uh, a bad, well, it was not, um, let's see, it wasn't- Barney's Big Surprise. Uh, it was Barney's Big Surprise, exactly. Um, and I said, sure, let's check this out. And that became a two and a half year uh, national and international tour that absolutely changed our lives. Uh, so, and that, that all, that came with its ups and downs, believe me, um, because we were working at the time, uh, we were working with, uh, crew members that worked for the Stones, for ACDC, for Metallica. They were a rock and roll crew and they worked their asses off putting up this set and taking down this set when, of course, they were, they had been working on sets like, um, what was the Stones tour, uh, Voodoo Lounge, and then oh, yeah. uh, Bridges Over Babylon, or whatever it's called. I mean, humongous sets that would leapfrog across the country, they'd have two sets, and you'd have one crew setting up, while the other crew had already set, set up, they did their concert, they would shut down, and that crew that had just finished breaking down would set up in the next city, so they, you know, they worked around the clock. I mean, they worked, they got you know, they got their hands dirty. And then you got these, these actors that are coming on for 15 minutes, in my case, you know, making a decent salary and taking the money and running, you know, if you will. And there was a little bit of resentment going on. And it wasn't until the, the second year when my then girlfriend who became my wife came out on the road too, that we started to party with these guys and gals. And when they saw that we were, you know, me in particular, not so much Carrie, um, but but me and I and Josh Martin, who was carried on. I love Josh. Yeah, Josh is terrific too. Forget it. He's he's an authentic that guy right there. I love him to death. So and he was real close to the crew. Um, so when we started to to show them, hey, you know, we we can get crazy, we, we, you know, just like you guys can. They then embraced us, and it was much better. I've always fancied myself as someone who, um, who appreciates and 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 most of my compadres do appreciate all of the folks that are that are that work behind the scenes on on all the mediums and i think that where for them the stones for instance were the ceos not only did they perform but they were the bosses we lowly actors were not that so here they are on a similar plane and i think they resented the fact that we only did what we did and got paid well, and they had to really bust their butts to, to, to get their paychecks. I think all of that was part of the mix, maybe, and I, I don't in any way mean to be putting words or thoughts into their minds or hearts, but it, that was just how I read it. And it, it, it hurt me because I was kind of lumped into a group of people where the people that they thought looked down their noses at them. And that's the furthest thing from any kind of behavior uh, of mine ever. And it was hard to convince them. And then they got it. And then we all lived happily ever after. <laughs> you know, after that, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, what I loved about, I, when I, when I got in touch with Carrie for the first time, he, he found me. Hmm. And for years, when I was doing this podcast, I did not want to talk about Barney on this podcast. Hmm. Well. Because I, generally my podcast is about, or at the time, was about children's media. It's broad in now. It's more about my life and what mm -hmm. I'm interested in and it kind of bridges gaps. Mm -hmm. But I never wanted to be labeled as the kid show guy. Huh. And that sort of frustrated me. And then 
I talked with Bob West. Yeah. And Another delicious know, human being. I literally said, okay, if I frame this correctly, we can make this uh, just an impactful conversation. It doesn't have to be a sing songy kind of thing. It could just be real about a guy that just happened to be in a dinosaur suit for years. And, and then I, and then we did the interview and they went great. And then I ended up being on Purple Rogue a couple years back and it was great. But like, it's, it's funny because even when you think you're not good for something or it's funny, the things you don't expect to be as wonderful as they are, they change your life. Yeah, yeah. And they shift your focus and they, they kind of alter your way of communicating with people. I'd have to say some of the, the Barney people that I've interviewed are just some of the nicest people. I mean, how could you not? You're dealing with a, a dinosaur that loves everybody. Yeah, exactly. And, but yeah. it was something that I had to learn. So what did working with Barney, in a metaphorical sense, or a literal, teach you? Gosh. Uh, <laughs> I think that because of the way I work for as long as I have been working, I am able to embrace whatever it is very quickly. So I never had to stop and think, how do I do this? How do I cope with this? How do I tolerate this? How do I deal with, you know, I just was with it. You were in, you were in it and that was it right from the beginning. Uh, it was total acceptance from the very beginning. Um, I had never performed in front of 6,000 uh, children at once, twice a day for two and a half years in, in the super venues that had a thrust stage that where I would walk out in the middle of the show while they were changing the set in the back and play okay. Simon Says. Yeah. I'd never, done that. That yeah. you know, I'd never done that before, but I felt completely at home. Um, I remember one time that bothered me a little bit. A friend of mine, uh, whose name will go unmentioned because he is a sweet friend of mine, happened to be at one of the performances with his children. And I want to say it might have been Universal Amphitheater. And I was out there doing my Simon Says thing with the kids in the character of the, of the professor. And this friend of mine yells out, hey, Barry, hey, Barry, how's it going? It's thus and such, hey, Barry. And I ignored him and could not believe that he would think for one moment that I would break character and acknowledge him. If he would have said, hey, professor, it's thus and such, love what you're doing. Simon says we love whatever it was, but it was asking me. It was you, in that, yeah. In that moment, to all of a sudden, be Barry, not be the professor. And and I remember that, and we kid about it to this day. But it was so inappropriate when you think about it. Uh, what did this person think? I was working, and this person knows better. And uh, so that threw me. But to to go back to your original question, it was not any kind of leap of faith. It was what I was being paid to do, what was expected of me, not unlike any other job that I have taken, I, I, I've had, I had had, or have had since. And just because he was a guy in a, you know, a purple costume, I mean, I was, I was in heaven. I love. I loved it. I mean, listen. Again, it was tough, and sometimes it was hard getting up in the morning, and and it was drudgery sometimes to deal that early in the morning. 
so it, it came with those downsides. But once you hit the stage, all of that it, it all just goes away. Yeah, I I totally understand that. And I when when you talk to these people and you hear their story about how you know they're going to children's hospitals or they're meeting children or that's why i'm so excited for the new documentary that's coming out about barney have you heard about this i, I yes and no it's, it's vaguely familiar uh, it's, enlighten me please it's a documentary about the backlash that barney got it's called i love you you hate me and it's such a cool perspective because it's not like this it doesn't seem to me to be like this glorious retrospective. It's real with this character at the forefront. Yeah. And it's so interesting that they're taking that approach. You know, sure, why not? Uh, it, 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 it pulls the veil back because I found myself often defending. It, it, it's, it, Barney's not about us adults. It's about the kids. It's about it imparting some information uh, as pure as just let's let's all get along and love each other. All you need is love. I mean, the, we as adults were getting that message from the Beatles from from the very get go. We love you, yeah, yeah, yeah. How's that different from I love you, you love me? You know what I'm saying? Yes. How dare we? Yes. Um, I, I'm so excited just to see that sort of unfold and hear the story and kind of just know more. God, I hope I hope they interview me. I've not. I I I would have loved to have been a part of that. Maybe it's already done. Is it? Has it done? About to be released? I think it's coming out in November. All right, so it's been done. Okay. Well, maybe they'll use clips from some of the yeah, stuff I've I'm done. Okay. It's just kind of. It's really cool. So, you know, this has been such a wonderful conversation, a real conversation, but I'm wondering, do you have any questions for me about what I do? Kind of turn the table, you know, like just... That's so funny you should ask that because I thought to myself, what can I ask Bob about himself? How can I turn this around to be the interview interviewer? Um, but I thought about it in terms of you thinking, wow, what a cool guest that Barry would ask me those questions. <laughs> So there was an ulterior motive there. <laughs> um, and it's, it's a great thing. Uh, I think I know a little bit about, as a result of my work these last nine years, about your culture, but cannot even begin to entertain the thought of imagining what it's really like. Though what's wonderful to see is you having made this silk purse out of the sow's ear that you have been handed as a life. Um, I only have admiration and respect and great love for you right off the bat without even knowing you other than your picture that I see here in Frozen you know, and, and speaking with you. Hey, there you. There you go. There you go. There's my man. Hey. <laughs> there he is. Thank you for that. Um, so I, I don't really, I don't really have any questions because I think your very existence comes with the answers or, or the answers come with your very existence and with what you do, if that makes sense. That means absolute world to me because I, the reason why I asked that question to begin with is there's a story behind this and if you don't mind, I'd like to share. Please. Um, when I started doing this podcast, I never spoke about my disability. Hmm. I never wanted it to be the Make-A-Wish kind of, oh, it's so cute that hmm. he's doing it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, but then, then, my, then I started talking about it more and it created a dialogue between me and a, me and the guest, and it created an interview or a conversation 
that they wouldn't otherwise have. Yeah, 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 yeah. And great that we are at a time in our lives, in history, where taking down the veil, Bob, is not um, as shocking as it seems to have more of a positive impact than the negative impact that it, it has had in the past. That's the wonderful thing about this part of this evolution. Listen, I'm a little pessimistic <laughs> and have always been of the mind that we're progressing ourselves out of existence. Uh, it's a sad and scary fact. But when we see this progression uh, allowing for um, people with, in your case, with cerebral palsy to take off the mask and be you, how's that a bad thing? You know, and, 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 be, dam and be damned anybody that has uh, any other kind of opinion I'm about so it that, that is a negative one. How, how, you know what I'm saying? I, I, will, I will admit. So am I. I am so is everybody. About things about myself. But, but literally to the point where it's like, I am, you know, nervous to put myself out there and write interview requests because I have done interviews where the guest, this is really candid, I've done interviews Ouch, where the guest. Really? That's that, I'm I'm shocked, on the and, and and though I shouldn't be because there are some assholes out there, but that's it's just so uneducated of the so of is, anybody, literate of anybody, as you should. And it, I mean, I'm still sure. going. I'm still doing what I do, but it's traumatized. It's like you know, like yeah. When you hear that, that's like yeah. a wound that can't be and I was in my second year of this show I was just a kid by retrospect and you're hearing that and this is it was literally my first time hmm. being insulted yeah, because really. of my disability yeah. I never got yeah. bullied as a kid thankfully and I mean a little background, I I went to a school mm. for kids just with disabilities for the first five years of my life. And then, like, when I turned six, mm -hmm. my mother was like, okay, we have to get you into public, we have to get you into public school. And that was such a culture shock because not everybody, not everybody did know, and it was, it was more of a learning curve for everybody, and like, yeah. But it was just something yeah. that I thought everybody did. So it just took me, Whew. you know. But hearing uh, that comment, yeah, there, uh, you know, it, it occurs to me now, and, and it's funny that I, funny. It, uh, yeah. that I didn't mention this before, maybe because it's just so much a part of, you know, who I am and who I was growing up and that which I'm going to tell you uh, impacting me in a fashion that has, has um, formed the way I think. And that is in my household, uh, I grew up with members of my immediate family who had disabilities. So though I did not know my maternal grandfather, uh, he as a young man fell off of a ladder and broke his back. And back in the day, they did not have the technology that they have today to mend that. So he had a large hump in the front and a hump in the back and very, very long arms. And he was, so he was deformed. However, he married my grandmother and sired four, four um, actually, for my, my mother and my three aunts. And I think they also had uh, a son who had passed away at birth, but, and, and he, was, he was a merchant, he was a grocer, uh, had two very successful mom and pop grocery stores. And his youngest daughter, my aunt Mim, may they all rest in peace, 
um, was born and I think they thought she might have, I don't know if she thought she, they thought she was dead or what, but they grabbed her by her shoulder and pulled her out and damaged the nerves so that her right arm was deformed and her right eye went off to the side. In later years, she actually had that corrected. But I grew up with her dealing with that. Um, my, uh, the grocery store that they were in by the time I was born was their second one. And as I said, my grandfather had passed by that point. My grandmother had handed over the duties to my Aunt Rose, the oldest of the four sisters. May again, she rest in peace. And we dealt in the grocery store with all aspects of the community, from gay to straight to interracial, black, white, you name it. We were in that section of the town in Lancaster, Pennsylvania called the, the Seventh Ward. In fact, the row of houses that we, we were at the top of the, 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 uh, the uh, block, all those houses that went down the row were merchants, but then behind those houses was a shanty town a shanty row of houses called Barney Google Row in which very low income underprivileged people lived, but they were also, um, they were patrons of the store. So I grew up playing with, immersed in the culture that was that shanty town Barney Google Row um, in the afternoons of my life. In the mornings, I lived up in the western part of the town and went to a very white school called Lafayette Elementary, where the only person who was disabled was Carl, who had polio and was in braces, and the only black kid, and we did not call them black at the time, was in what we now call the special needs. Um, I didn't even know it existed. It was downstairs in the basement, but I would see him occasionally. I was the only black kid. I moved literally overnight to New York to audition for Bye Bye Birdie, it's a long story, and uh, got the gig, moved overnight from Lancaster to New to Manhattan, and enrolled was enrolled in professional children's school, which was a melting pot. So I had all these wonderful aspects hitting my life at such an early age that allowed for this formation of a person who is as open-minded and as open-hearted as I am. I don't mean to be tooting my horn, but thank God that's what happened to me because it is it forms who I am today, if that hopefully makes sense to you, your audience. So where can people connect with you? So uh, on Facebook, um, uh, I, I look at it on my phone. So oftentimes when I get friend requests, I don't even see them. Uh, and I'm, again, I'm very discreet about uh, Facebook uh, friending. Um, uh, my posts are mainly public, so you can see them. Um, Instagram too, it's Barry underscore Pearl underscore LA um, is where you'll find me both on Facebook and on Instagram. And I also have a website. It's a new website. It's still a work in construction. Uh, it is uh, barrypearl.com. Uh, it's very, I, I had an old one that just was way out of date. And uh, my dear friend, Ricky uh, uh, Man Victorio is, um, is helping to manage it at this point. So you can get to me through barrypearl.com as well. And, um, and, and there you have it. Um, uh, I'm, I'm open to uh, communicating with everybody. Well, thank you so much for chat today. This has been great. You're welcome, Bob. Thank you for having me. The DJ Bob Show. Pop culture, past and present.